The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Stallion, why in the heck could you not be better at technology? <laughs> hey, you don't love me for my technology, man. I mean, come on. What do you want from me? Dude. You should have come up with this idea. Like when we started a short-term rental business, if you had the chops that our guest today, Seth Kavagi, had, we would be crushing it. There is no doubt. This guy's a genius. Uh, he came from the, the background of tech, and he has revolutionized the short-term rental business as a result. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway, Russ? Hey, I, I love the the Ray Kroc, you know, just concept where he is like, we are not a tech company that does real estate. We are a real estate company that uses technology. And mm -hmm. I love the fact that he identified where their value is, but also they have a unique viewpoint of how they're able to disrupt in that market space and add value that allows investors, allows us as you know, passive income entrepreneurs to find unique ways to get engaged in different products that maybe we already thought, oh, I've already conquered the short-term rental space, right? You and I have run a business and owned this business for two and a half years. But when he gives us the idea of, hey, how about being a partial owner in a number of different short-term rentals all over the U.S. and in really cool locations that also are dominating the space because of the 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 unique nature in which they've been able to identify and both guests, but also how to position them in their market. I thought all of that stuff was fantastic. Uh, can I just add this one thing to, to piggyback what you just said? It was like watching a kid in a candy store, right? He has figured out it, it was an unfair advantage that he's been able to take all of this data and go down and say, this house will kill it on short-term rentals because it has this many bedrooms, this much square footage, has this amenity in this location with this size yard. I mean, it was ridiculous how he could get that pinpointed down and be able to just turn on the money machine after the fact. But he didn't do it without the right team, the right technology and the right traction as he talked about in this interview. I'm telling you, if you've been wondering, how can I get involved in the short-term rental space without being the expert in being an operator myself, this is the episode you've been waiting for. Russ, I say we jump in right now with Seif Kafagi. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, 
Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, we know that you love the short-term rental space. And today we have Seif Kafagi in the studio to share his brilliant insights in the space. Seif, so glad to have you here. Thanks, Joey. Thanks so much for having me. Man, reading your bio, having conversations with you, Steve, I'm super excited to share this strategy because it is unique. It is one that we have not brought to the Wealth Without Wall Street tribe before. But before we get there, I got to understand the man behind it, right? What were you doing before you were building tech that gave you the ability to um, leverage short-term rental all over the nation? You know, for, for me, it was a is a long journey to where I got to. Uh, but right before TechFester, I was at Facebook for or Meta, I guess as people today call it. Um, and I was there for about five years, building teams, uh, setting up infrastructure um, and hiring really good talent, all of which are very common themes uh, at TechFester that we, we operate today and hiring the best people, building great technology and scaling um, at lightning speed, uh, as, as we like to call it. Um, but, you know, through my time at Facebook, we opened up, geez, probably a couple dozen offices right across the world. And, you know, each time you open up an office, it's not just hiring for a day. It's where are people going to live? What are they going to do? You know, what does health insurance look like? What do they eat? <laughs> right. What do their kids go to school? And so naturally, when you go to those cities, um, you're there for a week, two, a month. Right. And so spent quite a bit of time in um, some shitty Airbnbs back in the day. Um, and that kind of started the light of, you know, I wonder why this is so bad <laughs> and how it could be better in the future. Um, but while we were at Facebook, you know, I, I was really privileged to be um, around a lot of great people who are much smarter than I was. Um, and that's a consistent theme that we like to, we like to continue having. That's exactly how I feel every day. Like uh, I'm, I'm around a lot of people that are much smarter than me on this podcast and Russ not being one of them, but he gets to come along with me. And uh, so, yeah, we are grateful to have you. So what, what made you then transfer from the Facebook world in that, that position into now this, this tech vester um, setup that you have for short-term rentals? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was working predominantly in California, right? Los Angeles, born and raised, went to school in San Diego State, was working up in the Bay, right at Facebook. And California is beautiful, gorgeous, so many ways. Uh, so are its taxes. And naturally, I was a, uh, I was a single, uh, single man living in a house with a few other guys. And we were all making, I mean, a lot of money each and just having fun working all the time. Um, which meant I had a lot of disposable income uh, at the time, right? Very privileged position to be in. And so one of the first things I wanted to focus on was yeah, how do I lower my taxes, <laughs> right? Was it was a key strategy as an individual, but also how do I start building up some passive income streams or other income streams? Um, and that's when I started learning about real estate and getting into that world. Um, I became an LP, invested in a few other syndications, Right. And the, and the kind of the normal stuff, right? Multifamily, office, storage, industrial, everything kind of through and through. And every time I would see real estate and walk through those Airbnbs that I talked to you about, I was I would always question things, right? My, my brain is very much that of an entrepreneur who walks into a restaurant and counts how many tables there are. Right. So when I was seeing these real estate deals and then I walk into an Airbnb and I'm like, why is it so bad? 
<laughs> right? And I'm, I'm like, we're paying 300 bucks a night to be here, um, but it's still so bad. And, you know, when I got to learn a little bit more about the space, I'd eventually meet my partner, Sabrina. Uh, she had owned a few Airbnbs herself. She was ex-Apple. So we both had this, like, we were both in the Bay, super young. Um, in the, and then, you know, the tech scene is a lot younger in terms of the type of people who are typically in the space. Um, and then the real estate scene typically had a little bit more white hair, as I would call it. So when we would attend like real estate events, it was like, you know, we were the youngest in the room by far in many cases, right? Learning about these things. And um, that got me really curious about it. And as I learned more about short-term rentals um, over time, our first product naturally was to build software because we started learning about the pain points of short-term rental investors. And we built software to help you identify where to go buy your next Airbnb so you could buy a profitable one, right? That was like the biggest pain point we heard from investors who wanted to get into the space. So then we built that, right? That's what we built. Um, and we attracted some really great talent um, in terms of uh, our advisors. So like Scott Shatford, who founded AirDNA, sits on our board. And, you know, we were trying to solve this really big problem. Um, we presented the, the, the software to some of our early clients and customers. And what we learned was it didn't solve enough pain, right? It wasn't sticky. Uh, so for two reasons, one, it's like once they, if they were to find an Airbnb, they no longer need our software. Most people aren't going out buying like 40 of these right a year, right? It's like buy one and like save up for the next one. Um, and secondly, they still didn't want to do the work. So, you know, we, they actually about our, fir our first seven of them or so, if I recall, uh, each of them gave us about a quarter million dollars uh, each, and we bought them their own Airbnb, right? We helped them buy them their own Airbnb. We would find it. We'd use our own software. We designed it. We furnished it, and we would operate it. And we brought the group together um, on like a Zoom, right? And we we're just like talking to our early customers. And all of a sudden, you see other people's eyes light up because, you know, Joey, it's like you seeing Russ's Airbnb, and you're like, I want that. I want that. <laughs> Right? It's almost like the grass is greener on the other side. And Russ is like, no, nah, I want Joey's. Right? It's like you're almost like not happy with what you have. You want a little piece of all these other Airbnbs and all these other locations that you're seeing on screen. Um, and what we learned through that experience is that everyone would have preferred to own a piece of the entire portfolio rather than just the one Airbnb that they were heavily involved in making decisions on. And they didn't want to make any future decisions. They didn't, they didn't want to be active in any way. So through that, the kind of the light bulb moment was, well, what if we threw all of these properties into a portfolio? You were all shareholders, you know, equal to the amount or pro rata to the amount of money that you had invested. And then we can go raise more money and add more properties to the portfolio, which everyone becomes a pro rata owner of whatever that portfolio size would go to. Um, and that really hit. So we launched uh, that product. Um, it was around Halloween. I sent a really cute email out with, with a picture of my son. And it was like, hey, something cool is launching soon. Keep an eye out. And it was to friends and family um, and people we had kind of met over the years in tech. Um, and from there, uh, we booked 200 plus phone calls in the month of October. Um, or sorry, right, out, right, around, uh, yeah, right around Halloween and um, Thanksgiving, right? Between Halloween and Thanksgiving. And we would go on to raise our first six or seven million bucks, right? Like we hit a nerve, uh, which was like, get into this asset class. Here's what the strategy is. We'll do all the work. All you got to do is write a check. Uh, and what we were describing to all these people was essentially what a real estate syndication is, right? The ability to invest in real estate passively, which is actually not a commonly known thing to most people. People think you still have to go own a home, 
right? Do the, all the work yourself, maybe hire a property manager. But then multifamily is really what put real estate syndication on, you know, on the map because it's hard to go buy a 200 unit apartment building by yourself. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. It's a business, right? And so for us, we took all those same things that people loved and knew about real estate syndication in an asset class like multifamily, built our own technology and operations to be as a vertically integrated team as we can in the short-term rental space and offered all those same benefits in a slightly different asset class, which is short-term rentals. Naturally, short-term rentals are sexier. They're easier to talk about. The pictures are in a storage box, right? So people get a little bit more excited about them. And then we offered the ability to use them. And I think all those things combined, people kind of came together and was like, that really, that really makes a lot of sense. Um, and from there, we'd go on to raise $37 million in equity in our first year. Um, and I think people really started to, to see the work that we were doing in the traction. We picked up a bunch of press um, and that would start to grow. So backtracking a little bit. So the, you, you started digging into this. Was that October, November of 21? 21, correct. Yeah. And then yep. so in 2022, you guys were able to raise $37 million. How many properties did you guys purchase in 2022? So we'll land right around 80. So we're closing out our first fund. Our, first, our final acquisitions will close in the month of March um, uh, this year. Because uh, we actually raised about of that thirty seven about seventeen million dollars of that came around Christmas of twenty twenty two, and so of course, right? Of course, it's like, hey, it's like we really want to invest now, um, and so uh, you know, our team was luckily built for scale, so we were able to responsibly allocate that. What what else are you supposed to do with that money you got at Christmas from your grandmother or whatever, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, put it in short term rentals. Yeah, he he Grand, said your grandmother, and he also said the Facebook. It's going to be lots of old man references coming out of Joey. Steve. This is this is his style. So, kind of like recapping here, this was an opportunity to get into a space, short term rentals, that typically was everybody buying their own one-offs, right? There's some people who've been able to multiply. Joey and I, our audience knows, watched us, you know, build a short-term rental business. Now we were not purchasing, we were doing rental arbitrage and, and got to over 25 units in a very short period of time. But for typically, it, there was no way, even in our minds, we were trying to figure out if we wanted to scale this into other cities, we were not confident we knew how to do that because we had an amazing operator here in our town that was able to run the business but for us thinking, okay, if we go to another city, we've got to go find another person, another operator that can do this. And we were not confident. How have you guys been able to tackle that? Because in how many cities are you guys in right now? We are in about 10, soon to be 12. Okay. So how are you guys handling that problem of having amazing operators, even in all these different cities that you're in? So, I mean, we are the operator, right? And we're, we're really unique in a few ways, right? We buy our own assets. We don't do any arbitrage. We set up our own properties. We manage our own properties. We, you know, everything is vertically integrated in-house. And the reason that's really important is if you look at the traditional industry, your option is like DIY, do everything yourself, right? Or hire a property manager, right? In the short-term rental space, which a property manager is only going to be, and it can be anywhere between 20 to 40% of your revenue, depending on the market that you're in, right? Um, and kind of like the nuances of the property. The, the price of the property manager isn't the problem. It's the values that are different between an owner and a property manager. A property manager, all they care about is driving top line revenue. That's what they're paid on, right? 
in as an owner, you care about your net profit, your cash flow, your dividend, your yield that you're getting on a monthly, quarterly, annual basis. Those are two very conflicting things, right? In fact, uh, we actually ran into this earlier this year. It's very easy to drive revenue top line. I mean, I can have 100% occupancy anytime I want it. It's just how low do you want to go, <laughs> right, on pricing? Um, and that's really easy to do, but you, know, you have a lot more expenses. So there are profitable reservations and there are non-profitable reservations, right? And that's, and that's a property manager doesn't really care about that. So we built our own vertically integrated operation uh, that we manage our own properties. But to go back to your initial point of how we're able to do this, it's the three T's that we have at internal. It's team, technology, and traction. So the first thing that's most important, I learned this very clearly during my time at Facebook, hire the absolute best people you can, right? And so for us, we're a team of 30, that's full-time contractors, project managers, everything in between um, today. And we, in my opinion, have the best, most talented operating team in the space. In fact, it is one of our biggest competitive advantages from places like Facebook, Apple, DR Horton, Vacasa. We all came together to build this. And the reason that's important is we purposely built a team that have both operational excellence with a technology twist. And that's very different than a lot of companies in the short-term rental space that are under a reg A. We are not a technology company that does real estate which is a lot of what these reggae companies out there that do that. We are a real estate company that happens to build technology and the fundamentals are incredibly different. In fact, it's an infrastructure thing, right? It's like, how do you scale? Real estate is a old business. You can't scale real estate with technology. That's, that's not how it works, right? You still need to go find the house. You, you got to design the house. You got to start doing some hammering, and some nails and paint, right? Technology doesn't fix those things. So we owned building those infrastructures in those markets and got those economies of scale that you mentioned by building local markets, building local resources, right? Hiring people who are well-educated in that local market to grow that market, right? And for us, it's a part of our strategy. We're not gonna enter a market where we can buy one. I have to be able to buy 10, 20, 30, 50. It may not be tomorrow that we own 50, right? But I have to be able to see a pathway to that. And that's what our technology enables us to do is to identify where to buy, when to buy, what the supply and demand looks like and all those factors come in. Um, and I think the, the mindset of us being a real estate company that happens to build technology instead of a technology company that happens to do real estate are two very different fundamentals and why, for example, we aren't venture back today because we don't believe today that we need the venture capital, right? Um, in order to grow, but also we're not building a technology company. We're building a real estate company with values based on real estate, revenues and profitability and most importantly for our investors profitability and cash flow so you, you mentioned team you mentioned technology and then you said traction what talk to me about what does that mean for you guys yeah you know for us there's there's you know if you google or try to find people who are doing what we do you're not going to find a lot of options and so for us we knew that early mover mindset was really important to getting to elements of scale um, and so when we found early traction within our team, within our markets and within what we were doing and what works in our data, we want to really uh, monopolize that and continue to grow it for the, for the benefit of our investors and our shareholders. So, you know, when we enter a market like Clearwater, right, we were able to take data fundamentals that we understood from a similar avatar in a market like Scottsdale, bring those types of elements of traction over to uh, the market of Clearwater and it worked wonders. 
The only way you have that element of um, data and even to know you can do that is if you have firsthand data in both Clearwater and in Scottsdale. And that's the type level of traction we've been able to grasp on it and um, multiply over markets. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. All right, let, let's dig in and see if this is fascinating to me. I, I want to, for those who are listening, though, I want to give them some meat on the bone. Talk to me about what you're looking for. What's your buy box? Why is your property going to be the one that's going to be successful in a market when I've been doing this for two and a half years and I got one that hasn't even rented for the last four months because the neighbor, you know, next to me, you know, has a junkyard, you know, in front of his house. Sure. I don't. What makes your the properties you're you're looking for one? What's unique about them? What is it? How did you guys determine what you're going to put in there? And then how do you ensure success? along the way. Yep. So there's a couple of things, right? Um, and my answer today is not going to be exhaustive enough probably to answer every single market. Um, but for us, it starts with market mapping. Okay. So I'll kind of take you through the journey um, from the top. We want to identify where to invest to begin with. We're looking at the world, but predominantly the country of the US, right, to begin with. And from there, we're looking at data. We're looking predominantly at a couple pieces of data, supply and demand of Airbnbs and short-term rentals supply and demand real estate, right? And then revenue to price to purchase price ratio, right? We have specific things that we want to hit, specific targets. So for example, there's a reason that I don't buy in Malibu, California, even though I live in California, I love Malibu in every possible way. It's gorgeous, but it does not make sense to own in Malibu, right? Um, in terms of the economics that we're after. So for us, we start drilling down. Think of a funnel, right? We identify a market, let's call a, Let's go Arizona. We identify Arizona. We identify Scottsdale within Arizona through, through data, right? And then from there, we start doing even deeper market mapping. Market mapping of what does supply and demand of real estate look like? So what's coming on market? Is it two bedroom homes, three bedroom homes, five bedroom homes, six bedroom homes? Where are they coming on market? How does that correlate to the top performing Airbnbs in that market? And what are, the, what are those qualities, both quantitative, qualitative, and of course, through our experience from what we can observe, do those properties have, right? And then how much of those qualities are showing up in the real estate supply, right? That's happening in those markets. There are things that you just can't build, bones, right, of certain homes, right? Um, and there are things that you can. And then from there, you start to identify, okay, in Scottsdale, as an example, you might recognize you need to only buy four bedroom plus homes with a pool on a quarter acre or one. And from there, it's got to be designed in X, Y, Z way with two living rooms, a game room. You got to convert the garage. We're going to put mini putt everywhere. Got to have a got to have a hot tub. 
And the typical avatar of who's going to stay in this home is actually different if I'm six blocks west or six blocks east of X, right? And the reason for that is because if you're in real estate is hyper-local and we very much believe that. And then that'll dictate the design and approach to that property. For example, in Scottsdale, am I designing this for a bachelorette group who's coming into town to celebrate an event of those sorts? Or am I designing this for a family, right? Or a family outing of sorts. And once you understand who you're designing for, who your avatar is, what the data says, what the demand says, and what you can go buy, all these data uh, factors actually will just make your decision of what you're building and how really easy. Now that's only half the equation. You also got to be able to operate it, right? And so one thing that we strive on in one of our biggest skill sets is, you know, things like revenue management, property management, all those types of things happen in place. Uh, dynamic pricing, right? For anyone who doesn't know what dynamic pricing is, I don't charge the same on a Monday night as I do on a Saturday night, right? Saturday night is a more premium type of day. There was an article that came out in Scottsdale, I believe it was the New York Times or something along those lines about uh, Super Bowl in Scottsdale and all these Airbnbs being vacant and people can't book them. You know, the owners can't get three, four, five hundred bucks a night. We were booked a hundred percent at over $1,500 a night on average. So what's different between us and these other operators? And the first thing is the product is very different. The operating is very different, right? And the way that we treat um, our guests from a hospitality perspective is very different, right? So it's not just one thing that's gonna lead to success in my opinion, Russ, in your, uh, to, to address your question, but it's certainly everything kind of coming together. Let me let me ask you this, um, Steve. So, you you made a good point before about property managers and investors kind of being at odds in the way that they're paid and, and that sort of thing, if I'm not saying that incorrectly. How does it work within the tech vester um, setup? Like, is there, out of the, the whole deal, do you take a percentage of revenue as the property managers or is it just like, hey, we bring an X amount of, revenue together in this fund and we split the profits with everybody like the same way like how how is that different than the traditional model if i were to hire a property manager outside of this model so a couple of things right i want to make sure we're talking compliantly across the spectrum so I, I, let me just address a couple of things so our general partner right because uh, we're general partners our investors are limited partners right in our fund and in our syndication so our general partner only makes money after we meet a hurdle or a preferred return over a set amount, right? Whether that number is seven, eight, nine percent and whatever. And then there's a split or a waterfall after that. So for example, if you invested at an 8% pref and an 80-20, that means as an investor, you need to get back 8% on your money per year, right? Um, and if it does, if you don't get it in a certain year, it just you know, picks up and goes to the next year. And then after every dollar after eight, Right after you've gotten your eight, you get 80% of, right? And then we as the general partner get 20. That's our performance incentive. Now, on the property management side, because we built a vertically integrated business, that is through a third-party affiliated entity of ours that manages the properties, right? Either way, property management is a cost, whether it's through um, a fund like ours, whether you go hire your own property manager, there's no difference um, other than, you know, the benefit of working with us is that our vertically integrated operation allows us to focus on profit because we're incentivized as a general partner, right? It's not 
we're just pulling money on, on, on property management revenue. In fact, our property management revenue structure is we take a percentage of the purchase price, not of revenue, right? And that's for us to do all the work that we're doing uh, to set up the properties, to identify them, to run them, to operate them for the next five years, instead of taking it out of cash flows. Now, that is a trade-off that we make in a fund environment, and it is a very unique one. And the reason we do it that way is because our investment is focused on cash flows. And you guys have done several types of investments yourself, so that's multi, funds, arbitrage. And we can all sit here and agree that depending on your investment strategy and the asset cost of your investing, and there's always a trade-off. Multifamily value add, you get huge pops of equity growth, but no cash flow, very little cash flow, right? Mobile home parks, amazing tax benefits, right? But you're not going to see like massive bumps of equity. You're not going to see a 2x in five years, highly unlikely, right? In order for you to see that. Self-storage, right? All these types of things have different values that they add to your portfolio. And we've decided to build our fund to optimize for yield. The two biggest things that detract from yield on an ongoing basis, cost of debt, which we can't control, and the cost of management, which we do have control over, right? So by having this structure, we optimize for cash flow, which is what our, um, our focus on is for our investment to our investors. That's so good. As an investor, if you're not looking to run your own short-term rental, but you've been wanting to get in the space, what Seif is describing is a way that as a, an accredited investor, you can get involved with his company and invest in these amazing units all over the country. And you could even have your own uh, stay there. You could go take your buddies and stay in a hot tub and play mini golf and say, hey, I'm actually an owner of one of these units. And that, that's a, a pretty uh, appealing option for those of us who are looking for truly passive income. As we know, most things are not passive. They may be uninvolved or less involved. But this is one of those areas where it's interesting to me, see, that there is a way to get involved in where the, where the, where the market is moving, right? We're seeing short-term rental continue to gain traction, becoming way more um, common than it was even just two or five years ago. Talk to me about where you see your company going over the next three to five years. We are by far in the earliest innings of short-term rental investing. Um, in fact, I correlate this to storage in the 90s, um, and that's through deep research, not my uh, experience being born in the 90s. Um, but for me, uh, when you look at storage in the 90s, you, people didn't really understand why storage was important, why it should be valued based on the revenue. And the dot-com boom and the dot-com crash, AKA Amazon, where people started buying shit and having it sent to you. And we started buying a lot more things and needing bigger spaces. The shift in behavior is what drove storage from being a no asset class to a major asset class today, right? As an example. And in my opinion, especially after the pandemic and kind of coming out of the pandemic, I think we're gonna see remote work, flexible living, um, especially in a generation that is exactly my kind of generation, your millennials, your Gen Xers, right, who are seeking flexible arrangements in their personal and professional lives. Um, they want to be able to get away and go work from a ski town or a beach on a Monday because they can. It doesn't impact their ability to work and get that job done. And so we're investing with the tailwinds of human behavior. We believe that 
two, three, five, ten years from now, we don't believe home ownership is a thing. We believe actually it's a rent-to-own society or a rent society. We don't believe ownership is something that, unless it come, makes a comeback far down the line, we don't believe that's where the future is going. Um, and we believe that drivable destinations and more flexibility on movement as humans will continue to increase, not decrease, especially coming out of the pandemic. Um, and we saw that and we're seeing it now. I mean, you see uh, AirDNA, right, which is one of the leaders in the space, just in January's data, I believe it was about 17 or 19% year over year increase in demand, right? And that's because people can go out more, people want to go out more, and they're looking for the types of assets where they can get together with other groups. For example, we don't compete with hotels. And this is another big question I get in this space. It's like, where do you see this industry going? I think your one and two bedroom type homes are going to have a tough time competing with hotels in major urban areas, right? Hotels and at that point are typically more economical, more feasible, right? Better experienced. You know what you're getting. There's loyalty and rewards incentivized in many cases. But in our case, in our positioning, we're typically buying four bedroom plus homes, incredibly well amenity for larger groups, for families in beach mountain destinations half the time and, and then metros half, the other half the time where it's not a race to zero, where we can win on experience, where we can win on design, where we can win on pricing, right? And most importantly, we can operate it significantly better than the competition in that subset of an asset class. You're not, you don't see institutional operators in the STR asset class today because it's really hard to scale. We've built technology that allows us to scale. We've built technology that allows us to understand how our properties are doing in real time so we can make decisions in real time. And I think because of all those things, you'll see TechFester, if it isn't already, become one of the leaders in the space um, in institutional life for short-term rental investing over the next three, four, or five years. And when we exit, uh, I think we have, you know, even today, we have a ton of demand uh, from private equity firms who are looking to get into this space. They really want to get into this space, but you know what, you know what, Russ, you know what they don't want to do? They don't want to go build it. They want to buy the portfolio because it's hard to scale. The sweat equity we're putting in today, if anyone here has ever done any real estate investing, you know that the money is made on the sweat equity. Sweat equity is very different in every single asset class, but this I, is I, our sweat equity. Okay, so I was gonna let you in there, but you just brought up a question that's in my mind. I don't know if it's in the person's mind riding down the road or not, but it it is hard to do what you've done. It is hard to scale. You guys are like amazingly innovating in a space, right? Real estate, which is ancient, but bringing tech involved into it and allowing other investors come in. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end with a a hard question maybe, but it's probably one that you've already thought of a hundred times or maybe even been asked. How do I know as an investor that you're not going to flip this, sell this in 18 months, right? Acquire a massive number, right? Be able to get a, a ridiculous multiple and allow private equity to come in. And unfortunately, most of the times, sometimes, maybe that was stuff, sometimes they don't do such a good job managing it. And so what I bought into with you guys hungry, rocking this thing doesn't ultimately I want to after you flip it. How do you answer that great, for me as an investor? It's a great question. And it's actually not a concern you should have. And I'll tell you why. So if we were to exit our position and the ultimate opportunity here is to exit our portfolio, right? Generate cash flow and sell for a great multiple. A private equity group is not coming in and then interacting with investors. 
the investors would be a benefactor of selling the portfolio to this private equity firm. We would, all of us as investors, us included as tech investor and the general partner and all LPs, we would generate our return. We would sell the, prop, the portfolio off to a private equity firm. And then we'd wash our hands clean. And guess what? We'd probably call you and be like, hey, you want to do that again, right? Let's go do this again, right? And guess what? Round two, round three, it's going to be a lot more fun. I love that. Well, I, I don't know, Russ, do you have any more questions for me? We talked about you have to be accredited to be a part of this. Um, is there any sort of maximums, minimums that you guys are, are raising uh, for this sort of thing? Yeah, so our first one was about 37 million. Uh, this year, we're looking at two to three X that, right? $100 million sounds like a nice even number that we will aim for here. Um, but the, our minimum is $25,000 if you're looking to get involved, which is about 90% less um, than you would pay if you're trying to get involved in your own STR at a minimum. Um, and so we believe that's an accessible amount to get in started. As you mentioned, you do have to be accredited. Um, I would invite you to techvestor.com, book a call with our investor relations team, get to know us, make sure that this is an investment that's a good fit for you. Um, you know, obviously the disclaimer is not all investments are a good fit for everybody. You can lose all your money. This is real estate. And while we believe it has a lot of safety nets in many cases of leverage and physical assets, uh, make sure it's a good investment for you. Uh, we're seeing really great strong uh, starts in our first fund with cash flows and yield. I think five of our first six properties uh, cleared the press um, in our first year, which you don't see in a lot of syndications. Um, so we're really excited to see where this is going. Man, so cool. Well, Steve, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. As he said, if you want to get more uh, detailed information, go to techvestor.com. No I in there, stallion.com, techvestor.com, and connect with his team and see if this fits in your buy box as you are trying to build passive income so that we could exceed your monthly expenses and you can come financially free and then play mini, mini golf and sit in hot tubs all day long. You right? had me at the hot tub, Russ. <laughs> I knew I did. We just put in a golf simulator in one of our properties, guys. So we're we're upgrading a couple of them. So you can sit there and pretend you're on the fairway, and uh, and you, you don't even have to leave. <laughs> Joey always has to pretend he's in the fairway as he. Oh, <laughs> all right. We'll end there. Thank you so much, Steve. Appreciate it. And as always, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you found value, take time, rate, review it, and share it with somebody else who may be looking for insights just like Steve shared with us today. Have a great day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.